Morning Church. Um, in case you don't know me yet, uh, I'm Mark, and uh, been working here for the last two months. And um, when I preached back in January, the word that I felt the Lord put on my heart was falling in love with God's word again. And I felt God challenged me on January 1st with a New Year's resolution for the first time in like 10 years to um, get into his word every day. And I hadn't been doing that. I confess that to you. Um, but I felt strongly God was saying, get into the word every day, Mark, and take me at my word. And I'll show you great things. And um, it's 10 weeks in, so it's probably a fair time to give a bit of a report back. Um, no, I haven't been in the Word every day. I'm not 70 for 70. Um, I'm probably more 50 for 70. Um, but I have been in the Word most days. And what's more important, instead of just a legalistic pursuit of ticking a box and saying, yes, I've read every day, is I really f feel God talking to me uh, probably more than He ever has. Um, and that's His grace. And one of the most encouraging things for me as I've gone around and visited you individually, or even in your small groups, I always ask this question, what is God saying to you? And I've been so encouraged to hear that you're in the Word and God is speaking to you. Many people have said to me they too had a dusty Bible at some point, but God has given them a renewed passion for the Word, and He's speaking to them. God is good. We serve a living God, and He speaks. And God has also been speaking powerfully in the last few weeks through the sermons. As we've been going through Psalm, uh, particularly for me, Psalm 3 and Psalm 4, I've really felt God put his finger on some things he wants to work on in my life. I've been so challenged by David's relationship with the Lord. Despite the circumstances, he went through some terrible trials, yet his relationship with the Lord was so strong. And it was always what he looked to, to get him through it all. He stayed the course, regardless of the circumstances he faced. And I feel there's a, a word for you, and it's a word of warning. As we pursue the Lord this year and get into his word and get all excited about the things that he's sharing with us and revealing to us, uh, I have a fear that we are going to expect God to do some good things in response to our faithfulness. And I feel what the Lord's been saying to me through David's life is, as we've seen in his life over the last few weeks, this is not true. In fact, it's a false gospel that says, I do everything right, and then I'll get all of these uh, wonderful blessings. I was just chatting to a friend this last week who no longer walking with the Lord. Um, and... The reason is his hard times have fallen on him. Um, he's recently gone through a divorce. And um, his response to his trial has been one of, I'm angry and I'm walking away. So when I chatted to him, I asked him a question and I said, do you, do you blame God? And he said something very interesting. He said, I don't blame God here. Here, I know that I have sinned, and she has sinned, and we've made some bad choices that have led us into this position. But I do blame God here. And I asked him if he knew why. And he said he wasn't sure. I don't want to pretend that I always know the answer to questions, because I don't, but... I offered him an answer. I said, I think I know why. I watched you and her during your courtship before you got married, and you did everything right. You didn't live together. You didn't sleep together. You took God at his word, and you obeyed his word in a culture that doesn't acknowledge God's word and doesn't live according to God's word. Um, you did it right. And you thought that because you had done X, Y, and Z right in, a, in accordance with God's word, that you were going to end up with a blessed and perfect and wonderful marriage. And when that didn't happen, you're angry with God. 
And he said, you're right. And then I said this pretty harsh thing I said to him. I'm saying it to us as well. I said, the problem is you believed a false gospel. So he frowned because we kind of have been in church together for the last 20 years. So we've tracked together. He said, you believed, I said, you believe the false gospel. He said, what do you mean? And I said, you believe a prosperity gospel. The prosperity gospel says, I do these things, and then I get all of these things. And when you don't get them, then we get angry because God hasn't kept his end of the bargain. But even as I said that to him, I felt like God again touched my heart a little bit. I said, Mark, you're not exempt from this. This gospel, this false gospel is so subtle. It sneaks in. And even as we've been going through David's life, one of the things that really hit me was in response to all of the negative circumstances David was in, he was able to say to God, you are my shield, which means I expect trouble. There's no point to a shield if there's no trouble. It's really a waste. Okay? So even that phrase of God is my shield means you are expecting circumstances to be hard, but God is going to protect you. And not God's going to take the circumstances away. He's going to protect you during the circumstances, and my glory. So even though everything's going wrong all around David, he doesn't focus on any of that. He focuses on God as his glory. And I felt like the Lord says to me, Mark, you, you also are struggling a little bit with the prosperity gospel. And I'll tell you how. I started working here at the beginning of January, and the numbers go up. Dave even says to me on the one evening service. So we have about 50 extra people. And Dave whispers in my ears. He looks around and we're reveling in all the extra people. He goes, this is because of you. You're networking so well. And I looked around. I didn't recognize a single person. (laughs) But I felt good. Here I am, serving the Lord full time. Numbers go up. Cell groups are full. I don't even know what to do with someone when they come to me now and say, I want to be in a cell group. Um, I don't have space, which is wonderful. Praise the Lord. Uh, Our programs are going fantastic. We had 85 ladies at the ladies conference or uh, event on Monday night, and we had 100 young adults at the young adults event last week. There are so many things I can point to and go, wow, circumstances are great. And then last week, there was a bit of a slight drop. Not, not much, but there was a, a slight drop in attendance. And then suddenly this week, things go unusually wrong at the office. Everyone's, I mean, things go wrong for all of us, right, in the office. So I'm talking about unusually wrong, like worse than normal. And, man, I suddenly start going, what am I doing wrong? Because I'm making it about me. And that's a form of that gospel. If I do, 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 then I'll get, 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 get. And when I'm not getting, I need to look at myself and go, what, what am I doing wrong? And fix it so that I can, I can get. And God just put his finger on my, on my heart and said, I'm not your glory. Your work's your glory. The success of the work and the ministry is your glory. What if the numbers go down to zero and the small groups all fall apart? Would you still be satisfied in me? And a place I can see where I know that I'm not focusing in the right place is in my prayer life. So I said to you, I've been in the Word. God's speaking to me. It sounds fantastic. Can I confess something to you that might encourage you? I wake up at five and I make a cup of coffee. It takes me a while for my mind to, like, engage. And then I read, and I'm saying, Lord, will you speak to me? He doesn't always speak to me straight away. Eventually, I'll move into a prayer time. It goes like this. I start with praise. I say, Lord, I love you. Thank you that I can come into your presence. You are the Lord of lords and the King of kings. And at nine o'clock when I go and do that thing, I need to speak to that person and do this. And, and, and Oh, sorry, Lord. Forgot I was praying for a second there. 
I'll go on for 45 minutes. So Nita will even like rebuke me. She'll be like, you can't sit in there all, all morning and leave me suffering with the kids. And I'm like all holier than thou, you know, like, I'm praying. I'm not even praying. I'm planning my day. And I'm doing like thousands of things I want to fix and get right. I can't even slow my mind down to just enjoy my relationship with the Lord. Why? Because my glory is in my work. And so my mind jumps to my work all the time. And now this morning, there's people sitting in the room. Maybe you're angry with God. Maybe things are not working out as planned. Maybe there's trouble in your life that God is just not taking away, even though you are praying earnestly. Maybe things are going from bad to worse. Maybe the only reason you came here today was the hope that by doing something right, maybe God will intervene and improve your situation. Today's sermon is for you. I want you to open your Bibles to Romans chapter 8. As you're turning there, Romans chapter 8 is one of the most popular uh, chapters in the whole Bible, particularly the end. Um, It's filled with great encouragement. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if some of you have memorized the end of Romans chapter 8. It says things like, nothing will separate us from God. In all these things, we are more than conquerors. And um, it's interesting that the context of all of these very encouraging scriptures and verses we memorize, the context that I'm going to take us to, I want us to start in verse 18. The context is one of suffering. The context is one of going through hard times. So I'm going to read, and then we'll pray. For I consider, Romans chapter 8, verse 18, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is in the mind of the Spirit. Because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Father, as we come to your word this morning, we are dependent on your spirit. We cannot understand the things of your word except by your spirit. So I pray that as we teach on these things now, would you open up our hearts? Holy Spirit, would you open up our eyes? to what the Lord is saying to us this morning. I pray, Lord, that we would surrender to you, submit to you, and allow you to work in our hearts and mature us in our faith. We want to be obedient to you this morning, Lord. Come and speak to us. In Jesus' name, amen. In verse 18, there's three things. And the first is, an acknowledgement that sufferings are part of this Christian walk. There are some who teach that it is not, okay? And that's the prosperity gospel. 
if you do everything right, then everything goes well with you. And if th things are not going well with you, then you're doing something wrong and you can fix it. Uh, someone is telling me under the tent now, they used to have a, a neck brace and struggle with neck pain. And the church they were in wasn't our church, but the church they were in said, it's because of your sin. And if you can identify what your sin is, then it'll get dealt with. And so she tried and couldn't identify what the sin was. And so now she, instead of only having neck pain, she's also got guilt and shame on top of her because of the sin, because the prosperity gospel teaches that everything will go well with you if you're on track. But Paul doesn't say that. And, and even a cursory reading of scripture, you see these men of faith enduring great trials throughout their lives. And Paul says at the end of his life, I ran the race. I fought the good fight. It's not, he never says it's because I did this and this and this wrong that I had to go through this and this and this. Part of his call was to endure suffering. And suffering is part of it. We can't avoid it. Mark, are you saying that sin is never going to cause my suffering? No. Don't be misled. There are two ways we get to suffering. The first is because of our sin. Let me explain by giving an example. If I have an affair, that will bring suffering into my marriage and my relationship with my wife and my children. And that will be my fault. Okay? So sin certainly can cause suffering in certain circumstances. But not every form of suffering we will encounter in our lives is because we have sinned. If you have cancer in the room, it is not necessarily because you have sinned. Maybe you've got lung cancer and maybe it's because you were smoking. Then, of course, we can see a logical correlation. But many people endure various kinds of ailments and illnesses that they are not responsible for. And suffering is not purely related to sin. And we will encounter it. Paul offers two truths with that harsh uh, reality. The first one is the beautiful phrase that follows the word suffering, and it says, at this present time. For I consider that the suffering, sorry, of this present time. Here, Paul is reminding us that whatever suffering you are enduring and going through, it is temporary. It is temporary. Now, when we are enduring suffering, it doesn't feel temporary. Um, pain makes seconds feel like hours, and hours feel like days, and days feel like weeks. So we often, when we are going through uh, various forms of pain, we will feel like this thing is lasting, and it may be lasting. It may last your entire life, depending on the situation. But only one thing is everlasting, and that's the ever, everlasting arms of the Father to you. And there's comfort in this. The sufferings of this present time, they will end. The second comfort is they are not worth comparing. Um, they are not worth comparing to the glory that is to be revealed to us. This is a really weak illustration, but I couldn't think of anything better. So unfortunately, you've got to deal with the limitations of my mind here. But say someone offered you a Ferrari and you had 10 bucks. And you went, let me just consider for a moment what else I could do with this 10 rand before I commit to this Ferrari. It's a ridiculous thought. You could go bite the person's hand off. Sure, take the... You, you can't compare those two things. One is beautiful and amazing and uh, we'd all want in a heartbeat. And the other one is, what can we do with 10 rand today? Buy milk or, or bread. And as bad as our sufferings feel like and as heavy and uh, when we are enduring them, there's this awesome promise from God that when we get to the end and we enter into his glory, it's going to be so glorious that whatever you went through in this life, you wouldn't even for a moment consider comparing and going, was it worth it? You won't. That means that the harder the suffering, the greater the glory. Now think about in my own family, um, we've got suffering in the form of sickness, debilitating sickness that has lasted um, 13 years and may last for the rest of that person's life. It has been Awful watching that. Awful. But my hope 
when I watch him is one day in God's glory, he's going to have a perfect body. He's going to have a perfect mind. And we are going to rejoice side by side, shoulder to shoulder for all eternity. And if we even try to compare to what we had to go through here, it wouldn't even be worth comparing. If I didn't have that thing in my life, I wouldn't understand how great this glory is that's coming. If the worst thing I'd gone through was a girlfriend had rejected me when I was in high school, then I'll know that I can't compare God's glory to that, which is a pretty small issue. Unless you're in high school and that's just happened to you, I understand when you're going through that, it does feel like the end of the world. It felt like that to me. Um, The worse the trial and the heavier the burden, the greater the glory if it cannot compare. It's great encouragement to me when I think about my brother. I know God's promise is true and we will get there and it won't take long. Creation is waiting. Creation is suffering. This world that we are in is not the way it was made to be. If you are frustrated with this world, it is because we are living in a broken world. It is broken because of the sin of Adam uh, thousands of years ago. And um, sin has broken the world. Often our suffering and the things we have to go through, the question is, uh, why does God allow this? But the, the, the bottom line answer to most of that is, a lot of suffering is a result of sin. The sin that's in the world. Okay? So... Man's desire for money is creating situations where I do think our pursuit of money and just putting up everything like these cell phone towers are going up everywhere, all right? Just as a simple example. Cell phone towers are going up everywhere because, and then more money, boom, 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 boom. The research on the medical issues related to that is not conclusive, which should not comfort us. It could well be that a lot of the Medical ailments befalling us are a result of our own pursuit of greed. But the people in charge of those things are not motivated to look at that reality because it costs. So in that sense, this broken world filled with greed and pursuit of whatever, people fall by the wayside left, right, and center. And maybe cell phone towers have nothing to do with cancer and we're being, um, it's not proven. I can't prove that. I'm just saying, even if it was founded, that it was causing cancer, do you think they would stop? Would they stop building cell phone towers and making millions? I don't think so. And so, this is a broken world. And it groans. I love that word. My wife says, you're a moaner. (laughs) You complain. One of the most convicting verses for me is, do everything without complaining. Do everything without complaining. I, I do the opposite of that. I can do everything with complaining. It's a special gift. In fact, when I, when, I'll complain even when there's nothing to complain about. So my wife will argue in a way that I don't need to complain anymore and actually feel like, oh, you've taken something from me. Um, so I like that word here where it says it groans. It knows it wasn't meant to be this way. Martin Lloyd-Jones says something very interesting. He says, spring is creation's attempt to get to what it was every year. But every year it goes through the cycle and it fails. And it will try again and again and again. Creation longs for that day when we will be revealed as the true sons of God. This shell that you're looking at here, this unimpressive shell, is not who I am. My name is not Mark. The revelation tells me that God has a name for me. And he's going to reveal it to me on that day. That's my real name. My parents gave me the name Mark. You're welcome to use it. It's, it, it's sufficient for now. It's a nice name. Simple. But when I read Revelation, I read that this new name's coming, this new body's coming, this new spirit's coming. I know there's something in me that goes, it was always meant to be that way. And one day you're going to see me for who I really am. And there's going to be no sin in there. And there's going to be no limitation. It's going to be everything it was meant to be. And creation is longing for that. Creation is saying, come on, Lord. Come back. Reveal the sons of God. And it means the, the woman too. But it's not just creation that's longing and groaning. 
in verse 23, it says, we ourselves, and not only creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons. There's something about this world and even our own suffering we just know we're not meant to. So this is not put a fake smile on your face and walk around like a hero. This is, it's okay to be unhappy with the way things are. It's okay to groan in that. We groan because we know it wasn't meant to be this way. We weren't meant to encounter uh, sickness. That was not God's intention. We weren't meant to encounter death. That was not God's intention. God wanted a perfect relationship with us that was going to last forever. And sin broke that. And everything since then has been God's um, plan to restore. And it's coming. And it is sure. And in the meantime, it's okay to groan. Uh, I missed one important point. uh, Under creation, it uses a metaphor. It says, it compares it to a woman in labor, in childbirth, verse 23. And uh, even that's an encouragement. Those of you that in the room here have gone through that uh, ordeal, um, it's, I'm sorry, it's, I know the ladies like to say we have no idea. I'm, it's as bad, if not worse. What, well, I had to go through when I saw a need to go through that. She doesn't even remember. That's what I love. I, I still have post-traumatic stress. And Sebastian's four years old, and she just smiles when she remembers that day. And the beautiful thing about going through that experience is, you know, there was pain, and then it kept coming, and it kept coming faster and harder, and then finally there's this release, and it ends. And this beautiful thing happens where you can enjoy this new life. And when we compare creation to that metaphor, what I'm hearing is God is saying, as you watch creation struggle, and it is struggling, it struggles more and more every year, It is similar to the birth pains. They increase in measure. They come in closer proximity until, there's a warning here, guys. We don't have long. That's what it's saying. And when I say it's a a warning if you aren't right with God, it's a great encouragement if you are right with God. It's not long to go. Creation is showing us that. There is not long to go before God sets sets it right. But back to us. So are you struggling under... Um, suffering, that's okay. Are you weak? Even that is okay. It says here, he helps us in our weakness. You don't need to be a hero. You don't need to pretend everything's okay. You don't need to be dishonest. When we endure it, we are allowed to groan a bit. We are allowed to be weak. But it is important the way we respond. Are you going to respond like my friend? who walks away because things just don't go perfectly? Or are you going to respond like David, who no matter what happens, finds his glory in his relationship with the Lord? We are blessed as Christians. It says we are given the first fruits in verse 23. We have the first fruits of the Spirit. So the first fruits of this glory that's coming, it's already here. Can you see it? It's here. A little bit of it's here. I have the Holy Spirit in me. There's no doubt in my mind. There might be doubt in your mind, and that's fine. There's no doubt in my mind that God has given me His Spirit, and that is the first fruit of what's coming. I have the Holy Spirit with me to help me through this trial. That's the, the, the non-believer in suffering. There is no meaning. There is no meaning for their suffering. It will not end well. It will not benefit them in any way. But to the believer, during a time of suffering, God has given us his spirit as a foretaste of what is coming, a promise that everything will be okay. And he can't lose. Have you got that Holy Spirit? Be encouraged if you do. He's with you. And what does he do? It says in verse 26, the spirit helps us in our weakness. You are allowed to be weak as you suffer. He comes and he helps you. Sometimes when people are suffering, they don't even know how to approach God. You go, Mark, my prayer life is just so, it's okay. It's okay if you don't know what to say. Listen to this awesome promise. 
For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings. The third part of the groaning isn't even nature or us. God himself groans at what you are going through. Some people think he sends the suffering and kind of sits back and enjoys it and laughs. Nonsense. But he can end it, Mark. Yes, he can. He can. Then why doesn't he? I don't, that answer isn't so clear. I'm going to attempt to answer it. But one thing is certain. What is his emotional state like in your suffering? Here we see the spirit groans that you are going through that. And he prays for you when you can't pray. And he prays according to the will of God. We often want to pray that. Do you ever think when you're praying, Lord, I hope I'm praying according to your will? I do. But the Spirit prays according to the will of God. And here's this awesome promise we all know. And we know. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. And we know. There's no doubt. For those who love God, all things, everything, there's no limitation to that phrase, all things work together for good. It doesn't say for those that God loves. It says for those who love God. We can all identify false statements of love. When your daughter brings home that guy, and you hear him in the lounge telling her, I love you, baby. Your heart just goes, oh. You don't buy it. False proclamations of love, some of us might fall for them, but the wise amongst us need to see a bit of evidence. And so you might say to me, no, no, I love God. I go, that's fine. God knows the heart. And if you love him, the promise is everything you're going through, every trial, every bit of suffering, every pain, he's working it out for your good in his sovereign way. He's able to do that. I want to give you a practical example of how that can work out. I sometimes look at my life in two stages. And it's not when I got saved. I'm 38 years old. I got saved when I was 14, but I sometimes look at my life from 0 to 19. I don't really remember, in all honesty, the things from 0 to 3, but let's say 3 to 19, and then after. There's a change, and this is what it was for me. When I was 19 years old, I was the only person in my family saved, but we had everything the world could offer. My dad's business was successful. Money was coming out of the trees. They were ill-disciplined in their parenting, which was great for me because there was no kind of concept of pocket money. It was just ask, take, give. I had a petrol card and a Mercedes. Drove around the city, um, pouring kids into the car in many illegal ways. Man, we had fun. And God used it. There's people sitting in this church today who are part of that disciple, those discipleship moments in the, the tank. Some of you even remember the tank. That's what they called it, the tank. It was one of those beautiful 1980 Mercedes that you could drive through the wall with and it doesn't even have a scratch on. I know, I tried a few things. And I remember at 19, loving the Lord. Did you love him, Mark? Yes. Having a relationship with him, being used by him, and having everything the world could offer. I could study it in the United States my parents had saved enough money for me to go and do that. My dad wanted me to be an actuary. thought I was that clever. Some of you are laughing. I can see teachers sitting there going, there's no way he could have done that. <laughs> um, but at the time, just everything was going great. And I remember driving around, and every now and again when I was on my own and it was just quiet, I would think about my situation, and I would have a massive question mark over my faith. It was my own question mark. And the question was this, Mark... In this space where you have all the money, all the provision, everything's going well, no one's sick, there's no, if you have to think what trial, I don't, can't really think of a trial. Yes, I love the Lord. Here I am. I'm following. There's a question mark in that. What happens when it changes? And you can't answer that question 
until you walk the road. You can't answer that question before time. I couldn't. I had that question hanging over me. Mark, what are you going to do? I would say, Lord, I'll stay with you. I don't know. At 19, I joined the ship, go to the ship. These are the things that start to happen. My dad loses his business. They lose their house. They sold the house in Beacon Bay for 250,000 rand, and within a year, it was worth over a million. They missed that little bump in the early 2000s. They held the cash waiting to buy, and were the bump up in property prevents them from buying. To this day, they cannot buy. If they'd waited a little bit longer, they would have had 1.5, and they would have had enough. Okay? He put money into an overseas account. He was going to do stock trading with it, and the next day, uh, that bank got closed for money laundering. The next day, he put over 100,000 rand in there. Bang, 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 nothing. While I'm on the ship, my room that I grew up in, gone. My bed that I slept in so comfortably, gone. I came back to a completely different set of circumstances. But that's not even the worst. At age 24, my brother doesn't come home. So we were living in the same room, sleeping in the same rented um, two-bedroom granny flat, a family of five. And one day he didn't come home. And it took a week for us to find him. And we found him just up the road over here. Gone for a week, stuck in his car. I won't go through all the details of that because that's his story. And one day he's going to share it with you. I, can, I know he's getting ready to share it and he should share it. It's for, it's for God's glory. But at the time, it was horrifying. We went through a nightmare for six years. Absolute nightmare. I wouldn't wish on my worst enemy. God knew what was coming at age 19 when I had that question mark over my faith. I could line up in the last 19 years. I'm not saying by any stretch of the imagination. Some of you are sitting there going, Mark, we've been through much worse. I know you have. This is all I've been through so far. I don't know what's coming. Anita said, what are you preaching on? I said, suffering. She went, oh. <laughs> And at first I thought she just didn't like the topic, but then I basically she said, no, I respect your relationship with the Lord enough to know this is a problem. <laughs> if God's telling you about suffering, then we, we need to be ready. I'm not at all saying I've been through the worst. I think the worst is coming. I have no idea what it is. I just know that in the last 19 years, if I line up what had happened, if I go, lost everything, financially still have nothing, um, my brother's gotten much better, but he's still permanently ill and probably going to be ill the rest of his life. Um, thing, issues that have happened in the church and so on. I can really look back at the last 19 years and go, bang, 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 bang. Bang, and the hits just keep coming. First 19 years, couldn't think of any. Last 19 years, I can write a book and keep you all, all. But if I think about my friend at the start of the story, what's the difference? I'm standing in front of you now as a 38-year-old with a tested faith. The question mark at 19 is not there anymore. It's gone. My faith has been tested through the trials and the sufferings I've had to endure, and it's been found pure. That's how God does it. Uh, gold is refined in the fire, but we get refined through our sufferings, and real faith shows up that no matter what you go through, like David, you're still found there. I'm standing there. As my faith is as strong as ever. Not because everything's going well, because no matter what happens, I choose to trust you. I choose to follow you. It might not get any better in any way. It might get a lot worse in some ways. But one thing is true, Lord. You will not leave me. You will not forsake me. You are always there. And I am choosing to stay with you. You will take me through. God will use it for the good. My parents weren't saved. My brother wasn't saved. But I didn't answer that part of the story. I know you know, but I mean, so this isn't a revelation to you. But today, at 38, my dad is saved. My brother, Steve, is saved. And my mom is saved. And so I remember being 17 years old, standing in a worship thing, thinking about my mom, and she just told me in the car, Mark, I'm going to hell. 
I was like, no, no, you don't have to go. To, no, no, I, it's too late for me. After everything I've done, it's, it's done and dusted. I've, it's, there's no way back for me. So whenever you try to speak to, to her about the gospel, she just stopped you, cut you off and said, I'm already, I'm gone. And I remember standing in a worship thing, praying for her and just weeping for her. And I remember the Lord just saying, I'm hearing you. And what if everything we had to go through afterwards is an answer to the prayer? As a 17-year-old, Lord, would you save my mom? Because he's answered that prayer. God will use everything we go through for his good. I've seen that. Even now, the last trial my family's currently going through is my youngest brother. I can't tell you what it is. It's like a Hollywood movie. I've been sworn to secrecy by my family. But he is going through massive issues. And he's bringing them on our family. And when my mom was telling me this, I got so angry. I was like, Lord, after everything they've been through, you've taken away all their money. You've taken away all their stuff. You've given them a permanently sick son. And now another son. Like, their best son is a pastor who's like living hand to mouth. That's their, that's their like, he's the one that's, you know, it's okay. So when I heard what was happening with my youngest brother, and it's his fault, I got angry. I said, man, if I go and see him, I'm going to give him a piece of my mind. How's that for pastoral? (laughs) And I prayed, and I felt God show me this. And he said, Mark, look back. All the stuff you've been going through, your prayers are being answered. They are. Jason's not saved yet. What if it's going to take this? And suddenly my mind changed. I said, Lord, all I care about is his salvation. Whatever it takes, we accept it from your hand. Church, sometimes you're going to pray and ask God to take stuff away, and he won't do it. It happened to Jesus. So I want to answer this question. Mark, am I allowed to pray when I'm going through suffering for it to be taken away? Yes. How do I know? Because Jesus did the same thing. In Gethsemane, with suffering, with sweat pouring off him, he says, Lord, if it's possible and all things are possible with you, take this cup away from me. So Jesus asked, and you've got to know. Was he allowed to ask? Yes. Are you allowed to ask for the cup to pass, for the suffering to end? Yes, go for it. If you come up here and pray with me and say, I'm going through this trial, I will pray with you that it will end. It's okay to pray that prayer. There's nothing wrong with that prayer. It's also okay to hear a no. And choose to not walk away like my other friend did, but to choose to stay, even if it's a no. Jesus got a no because of the greater good. That he, at that time, was struggling to hold on to. The disciples couldn't hold on to it. Satan certainly didn't get it. He was all game for getting Jesus killed on the cross. No one got it when Jesus died on the cross that that was for the good. Jesus even cried out, why have you forsaken me? But sometimes the answer is no, and we trust him in some way. I might not understand it until I get to the other side, but you are using everything that I go through for your good. I choose to trust you. And the final point is verse 30, my last encouragement through suffering. In verse 30, we see the salvation process laid out. And it says, And those whom he predestined, So before we were even born, God set our salvation in motion. The second thing he did was he called. When did he call? He called on the cross. He called everyone. Not some, all. It's called a general call, and it's for everyone. So if you're in the room today, and you haven't responded to the call, and you're wondering if you're allowed to respond to the call, if you hear the call, come. It's for everyone. I gave my son to die for you. You can come. Come to me. And if you heard that call, you came to him like I did at age 14. And what happened in that moment was as soon as I came to God and I went, God, I'm sorry for the way I've been living my life. I understand what you've done for me now. I can't believe it. I choose to accept it. It's amazing what you've done. I accept it. I want to live for you. 
When I did that, he did the next part. He justified. These are past tense, guys. Predestined, done. Called, done. Justified, done. What does justified mean, Mark? It means that God, in that moment that I answered his call, I came to him. He took my sin and he took it off me. He took Jesus' righteousness and he put it on me. And I'm in right standing. I honestly feel that. Mark, are you a sinner? Yes. But when you pray, how do you feel? I feel like I'm his son. The spirit within me cries out, Abba, Father. I know I'm righteous before him, not because of me, because of Jesus. I am justified. That means no one can say anything. Yes, you can. You can come and say, but it means nothing. It might hurt my feelings, but really, God has answered it already. Justified. But here's the beautiful one, because this is the context of the suffering that is going to be short-term. One day, we're going to be glorified. It says that those he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Glorified is speaking about that final place where we are the state of blessedness, where we have new bodies, new spirits, all the sinful nature is gone, and we are restored to the original intention. Creation is restored to the original intention of what it was before it was broken, and we are restored to the original intention that Adam and Eve had before sin came in. Glorified. And as an English teacher, let me help you with something that was really encouraging to me. Predestined, past tense. Called, past tense. Justified, past tense. Glorified hasn't happened yet. But it's not stated that way. It doesn't say, will glorify you. It says, glorified. As if it's done. Why? And the answer is, and it's a beautiful answer for someone in a time of suffering who's feeling weak and wondering where their faith is going to go through it. Jesus will not lose anyone from his hand. It's a promise in John. I will not lose any of them that you give to me. Did you respond to the call of God? Did he justify you? Then it's done. That means that in this life, though you face trials, temptations, tribulations, suffering, you, by God's grace and his spirit and him being with you, he will keep you. You will stand. You glorified will happen. And that's the greatest encouragement to me when I watch my brother, when I look at some of the stuff I have to walk through. This isn't up for debate. There's no question mark left over this. I know that this is done. I must respond. When I go through the tough things and there's things coming, I must choose to focus on my relationship with him. I can ask him to take the stuff away, but when he doesn't, I stay. Because my relationship's not dependent on how everything goes around me. My relationship is dependent on this truth. You love me. It's true. You've said so. And you're with me. It's true. You've said so. I can't control the circumstances. It's in that context that the rest happens where it says nothing will separate you. It's not saying the things won't come. They will come. But when they come, they won't separate you from the love of God. And you are able to endure to the point of being glorified one day when it will be gone forever. I want to end with a song. I didn't sing at the eight. But someone outside convinced me to sing to you, so sorry for you guys. Um, Joey's going to enjoy this. Um, so I haven't practiced this. But, uh, so this song is from a person called Laura's Story. Beautiful song. She wrote it at a time of great trial. She married. As a young married, her husband got a brain tumor. She said, when you get married and you say the vow in sickness and in health, you don't assume brain tumor within the first couple of years they operated um, he lost his memory he doesn't he remembered her but he didn't remember that they got married and he also struggles with uh, so visual he hasn't worked really since it's been 10 years 15 years now but I think 10 years since he got sick when I was listening to her testimony and uh, he hasn't worked so she said it's it's a permanent struggle and in that place, she wrote this song. 
You might know it. I can't sing it as well as her. I encourage you to go listen to it on YouTube. Okay. We pray for blessings. We pray for peace. Comfort for family. Protection while we sleep. Pray for healing. For prosperity. We pray for your mighty hand to ease our suffering. All the while you hear each spoken need, yet love us way too much to give us lesser things. Because what if your blessings come through raindrops? What if your healing comes through tears? What if a thousand sleepless nights are what it takes to know you're near? What if trials of this life are your mercies in disguise? We pray for wisdom, your voice to hear. We cry out in anger when we cannot feel you near. We doubt your goodness. We doubt your love. As if every promise from your word is not enough. And all the while you hear each desperate plea and long that we'd have faith to believe. Because what if your blessings come through raindrops? What if your healing comes through tears? What if a thousand sleepless nights are what it takes to know you're near? What if trials of this life are your mercies in disguise? Friends betray us. When darkness seems to win, we know the pain reminds this heart, this is not, this is not our home. What if your blessings come through raindrops? What if your healing comes through tears? What if a thousand sleepless nights are what? takes to know you're near what if my greatest disappointments or the aching of this life is the revealing of greater thirst this world can't satisfy what if trials of this life the rain the storms the hardest nights are your mercies in disguise?